Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. It's time to retire smarter once again. Welcome to the podcast. Walter Storholt here alongside Kevin Krosky of True Wealth Design, serving you throughout Northeast Ohio. Listen to past episodes of the show and find us online at truewealthdesign.com or look up Retire Smarter on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Kevin, great to have you along with us once again, sir. How have you been? I'm good, Walter. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to the man of the half hour here. How are you? <laughs> you flipped it around this week. Fantastic. <laughs> I did. I did. How's that I, feel? I, underst- I understand you just went to, to Disney and did you get to put the Mickey Mouse ears on and all that good stuff? Well, when you are a father of two young girls, you do whatever makes them happy. So we had a good Disney experience, yes. You, you put on the ears, you, you ride in the teacup, you do all the stuff, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My oldest is six, and uh, our youngest is just more kind of in the stroller going around. Um, she's 17 months, so I'm sure she won't uh, really remember the experience. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so no really big roller coasters just yet. Um, starting to do it a little bit for my six-year-old, and she's she's tall enough, uh, so she's more than 48 inches. So we were able to get on most of the roller coasters, which was great, and uh, she did enjoy it. So uh, I would. I would say Aubrey hands up and uh, we were going pretty fast a few times and her hands were up in the air, both of them. So I was proud of her. Nice. Very cool. What would you say was the uh, most popular character walking around Disney for Aubrey? Uh, For Aubrey, um, most popular. Well, we did have, um, we had a breakfast at our, our hotel. And so we had a character breakfast. And so as many young girls, the whole Elsa and Anna thing is just still ah. ridiculously huge. And, and that was the case for my daughter as well. Yeah. Yeah. I can't beat the, the frozen characters these days. They're like superstars, right? <laughs> yes. Princesses. So, uh, so daddy did not dress up as a princess, but, uh, but everything else I, I pretty much did. Gotcha. Fantastic. Well, glad it was a good experience. And uh, we'll see if you can work your your magic on a great new podcast today. How about that for a little Disney transition into the uh, show today? We're talking about pensions and lump sums. I would dare to say, Kevin, probably two of the more popular topics. I mean, they kind of go hand in hand when it comes to retirement and financial planning. Even though people don't have pensions as much as maybe they used to, there's still lots of talk about pensions and lump sum buyouts and all those kinds of things for people who are preparing for retirement and maybe dealing with their employers and just lots of considerations to work through here. So looking forward to learning everything that you're going to teach us today on this particular subject because you've noticed over the kind of the past year and heading into this year, a little bit in the world of of this pension and lump sum world, kind of some changes, some movements, some kind of some news in that side of things? Sure. I guess to put this in context first, and also explain why this really is going to apply to anybody that's listening and not just those that do have a traditional defined benefit pension. So firstly, the reason why this matters is, again, you, th- you think of you know your overall financial plan and want to make sure that your money lasts and, and you're doing you know smart things with it to go ahead and create income. You have your spending goals, and then you have your income sources that are maybe at least in part, uh, maybe completely, but generally in part going to meet your spending goals. So you're going to have some social security. You may have a pension. It may be sizable. It, it may be relatively small or maybe none. Um, but then whatever is not met by those income sources, you know, has to be met by your savings and investments over time. So, so that's kind of the, the general process. And, and again, creating the income 
you have some decisions on the pension about how you're going to take it. So that factors into, well, how are we going to create and optimize our retirement income? So that's why I would say that this conversation in general is important. Um, now, if you don't have a traditional defined benefit pension plan where the company that you work for for maybe, you know, maybe most or all of your career, you know, has promised to pay you some monthly amount for as long as you live, it's still relevant for you. And I say that because in effect, you could go ahead and create a personal pension if you wanted to. Pensions are really annuity payments and not necessarily those evil annuities that I always talk about that are really kind of high cost and and oversold and misused. Um, But you could go to an insurance company and say, hey, there's $100,000. Just give me a monthly income stream for my lifetime that I can't outlive. And that type of annuity is called an immediate annuity. And in fact, it's really the same thing as a pension. So uh, the difference being in a pension plan where you work for the company, their obligation is they've promised to pay you a monthly amount that you can't outlive. Whereas if you do not have one of those, you have liquid assets, uh, savings and investments that you could decide to give to an insurance company to obtain a pension like payment, annuity payment that is going to last for your lifetime. So, you know, this really applies to everybody, the majority of what we're going to talk about. But as you indicated, Walter, there are some unique things that have gone on recently that certainly warrant uh, the lump sum options on defined benefit pensions, another consideration uh, and certainly understanding. So, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And we'll just go ahead and get right in. Before we get into any of the, I guess, the math or anything like that, I think it's incredibly important to say that when you look at retirement income in general, there's been a lot of studies over the last decade or so on retirement satisfaction, psychological studies, sociological studies, as well as you know financial studies about retirement. And it's very clear from the evidence that's emanating from this that people definitely prefer to spend a fixed monthly amount rather than having a lump sum. So we can think about this a couple of different ways. Certainly, as the case of the subject of today's podcast, you know, you can have the company promising to pay you $1,000 a month, for example. Um, let's just say it's $500 per month forever. Or they'll give you, say, $100,000 in a lump sum that you can go ahead and then you know, invest or spend and do with whatever you see fit. So it's a decision that you have. Now, people generally prefer, at least you know, on average, spending the monthly amount and not really having to worry about the lump sum. You can look at this a couple of different ways. You know, once my wife is a full-time mom now, but when I used to tell the joke and I joke to some, maybe not so funny to others, including my wife. But, but I would say when when she was working at American Greetings and uh, she was a greeting card writer and editor, the money that she made uh, was her money, and the money that I made was our money. And so it was like this really unique mental accounting exercise <laughs> that I felt that she did. But people do that all the time. We have a way that we kind of perceive money in our minds or account for money that is more emotional. Um, rather than kind of financial. Um, and whenever you think about spending money, and we see this all the time with our you know, retired clients, they undoubtedly would prefer to go ahead and spend Social Security 
rather than spending money that they have in their own IRAs or 401ks or, or any sort of uh, savings or investment account. It's just, it, they just look at it differently. It's, it's, it's really an asset. Um, they really shouldn't perceive it to necessarily be different. I would say the financial question is, well, here, here's the assets that we have. So what's the best financial answer to go ahead and produce the income or, you know, meet the objective of your plan? However, you know, people are emotional. We use reason to justify how we're feeling in many cases. And uh, that part of our brain, our rear brain or a reptilian brain is faster than the thinking brain. So there's been a lot of this behavioral finance, um, all the psychology that's come into finance over the last you know, 10 or 20 years. And it's important to understand because if you have the best financially crafted plan, but somebody can't sleep at night, well, you're not really doing a good job for your client. The corollary to that, I would say, is well, you know, and again, I'll kind of pick on these annuities again, but you know, they, they sound good, but mathematically, they're just tending not to be a really good deal for the client. So, so we believe in certainly running the numbers, understanding the math, but then you know, kind of fitting into the qualitative desires of the client to make sure that it's something that they understand, something that um, they feel comfortable with, and they'll be able to sleep at night with. So you always have to do the math, but it's really important to remember that when you do look at the satisfaction, people derive much, much greater satisfaction out of spending social security or pension versus having an equivalent lump sum amount. So certainly those are averages. You may have somebody that is is saying in the back of their mind right now, well, that's not me. Uh, Sure, we're all unique little snowflakes, but um, in general, I think that's the base case because uh, the results are so compelling when you look at that. It does feel like you're spending someone else's money when it's Social Security dollars, just because it, you know, it's not something that's coming out of that account that you've been watching it go into all those years. It just sort of, you know, you've seen it coming out of your paycheck, so it doesn't really feel like something that you've been building toward all these years. So maybe, maybe that's part of the psychology a little bit. I don't know. Maybe, maybe people disagree with that, but it seems to be almost like that's that's not the money that I work so hard to build up in my four hundred one k or my IRA. So it's just. You know, let's let's spend that first because that's that's the government's money and my money too. But it's coming from them in a way. It's it may just feel that I can see why that would feel different for folks. Oh, completely. You know, and even though you know, I retire smarter and people get a peer into to myself and my personality, and and some would say maybe I'm boring and an egghead or who knows. But um, but we're none of us are immune to it. We're all human. <laughs> Some of us are maybe a little bit more emotional than others. Some of us are maybe a little bit more rational, but we're all human. Uh, at the foundation of it, we we have these same traits, and and I'm no different. You know, so we at the end of the year last year, I got a bunch of um, fifty dollar gift cards from uh, from a credit card that we use for business purposes, and they were fifty dollar gas cards. Well, you know, here I'm like giving them out like. They were pieces of gum to people. You're like, oh, hey, here, dental hygienist, you know, you're fantastic. Here's fifty dollars for you, and you know, here's fifty dollars for you. And one, I enjoyed it. It was something that I liked to do for these people. You know, some of my staff, I, I, I did it as well as a little thank you, kind of unexpected thing. But it was the other side of it was it was like found money. It was just like what you were saying, Walter. I mean, it was just another example of that mental accounting and. I just looked at, it was money. It was in the form of a $50 gift card, but rest assured, you know, I go to the pump and I put that in, it translates to $50 in gas. It's kind of like how people will treat, um, 
you know, inheritance dollars differently in many cases. It comes with an emotional attachment to it. So they may be less willing to sell assets that might have been inherited versus assets that, that you know, were, were always kind of their money in a way. They may say, well, I don't know if the, the person who passed that on to me, I don't know if dad would want this money spent in this way. Maybe they want me to, you know, apply it differently. So, yeah, emotions definitely enter the equation in a lot of different ways when it comes to money. Yeah, another great insight. Yeah, see, that's why you're the man of the half hour today, Walter. Thank you for that. <laughs> I get smarter each time I listen to the show, you know, so that's, <laughs> that's, that's great. why it has the namesake. You there know? you go. So satisfaction is very, very important. Now, let's let's kind of get beyond satisfaction. Um, and if there's, um, I would say if there's a tie mathematically or it's somewhat close, then it's generally a good idea to, to uh, go ahead and and let satisfaction be the overriding factor. Um, if the math is such that, hey, the lump sum is actually way more ben- likely way more beneficial, you can't know for sure because if some of the, if you take a lump sum, you're going to have to invest it in something and certainly that in all investments have some uncertainty and risk. But we can deduce, you know, what is what we would call a hurdle rate, if you will. So, so let's think about this and, and how we would look at this. And we have a lot of clients that, uh, some ones, some that we've looked at recently, uh, Rockwell Automation. We have several clients from there. They're, you know, Fortune 500 company. They have a lump sum that often makes sense to go ahead and take in lieu of a monthly pension payment. First Energy you know, another public company uh, in uh, Akron, they also have a pension plan that often makes sense to go ahead and take the lump sum. Akron Children's Hospital, Goodyear, a lot of clients uh, we have at a lot of these places. And so we've been relooking at these now for the last couple months, we, we knew it was coming in 2020. But, you know, here we are now and I'll kind of explain why uh, it makes sense to relook at these. It always makes sense to look at them, but the lump sums have gotten more beneficial this year. So Again, suppose the choice is you know $500 a month for life or $100,000 that you can go ahead and roll over to your IRA and, and use as you see fit. Generally, we would say, well, hey, if you're going to get $500 a month or $6,000 per year, or you go ahead and take that lump sum and you get, you know, you don't get the $500 per month, well, what kind of rate of return do you need to earn on that $100,000 to just go ahead and produce? the $500 per month that the company had guaranteed to you. So it's just kind of a simple, you know, starting point where you just look at it. We just call that a hurdle rate, if you will. So, you know, if you suppose you're 65 years old and you're taking the lump sum and you get $500 per month, uh, $6,000 per year, and you live for 10 years. So Walter, I haven't asked you a question yet, but how much money have you received over that 10-year period? Oh, so you can't throw out a string of numbers. you got to be paying uh, so attention, Walter. This is your job, buddy. Sorry. W- w- did you say 6000 a year for 10 years? So 60000 right? <laughs> you got it. There you okay. go. Good recovery. Right. Good recovery. I thought you were maybe going to throw me a curveball with some interest rates and some no, 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 no. percentages. Not yet, anyway. All right. So you're right. I've got so my calculator ready now, though, just in case you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so you're 65 10 years, now you're 75, you receive $6,000 per year and $500 per month installments, cumulative of $60,000. Um, something happens and you're no longer you know, with us on this earth and you receive $60,000 over those years or you could have received $100,000 lump sum. So pretty simple example there where, hey, you would have been better off taking the lump sum, right? You really don't even have to do, well, what kind of rate of return would I have needed on the $100,000 
to get $60,000 over 10 years, it, it would have been a negative return, right? <laughs> so, it's an easy choice in that example of <laughs> what the right thing to do would have been. Right? right. But the thing that we all have to be mindful about and I think most concerned about is outliving our money, not, not passing away too soon. Um, so as you go out over a longer and longer period of time, say, you know, you go out 20 years and now that 65 year old is 85 or you go out 30 and now they are 95. The rate of return is going to get higher because you're producing, you have to produce that 500 hours per month for a longer period of time. So when you do the math on that, well, I'll just use an example that we did for somebody at First Energy recently. So he was, uh, just below 60 years old. Uh, he was retiring. And uh, I think it was uh, 30 years at age 90, he needed about a 4% return or so to go ahead. And that was his hurdle rate. You know, he needed 4% kind of net returns year in, year out to go ahead and, and have his lump sum produce the same monthly amount that he would have otherwise had had he not taken the lump sum. So you with me on that, Walter? I got you so far. All right. So, so it was 4%. Now I'll come back to him in a minute, but so when you think about this 4%, you know, we've talked in past podcast episodes about return expectations, and we've certainly had some good returns in 2019. Usually when you've had outsized returns, that kind of eats away at some of the forward looking returns. So you always kind of have to think about, well, you know, if I take that lump sum and now I know what the hurdle rate is now, is it reasonable to expect that I can get that? And then you, you kind of start working through like, well, if, you know, if I'm really against taking any stock risk and I'm only going to be investing in bonds, I would say, well, no, I mean, it's probably not reasonable that you're going to get a net return of 4% by only investing in bonds. However, if you're going to have a mix of stocks and bonds, you may not get 4%, you know, certainly every year you're not going, that's not going to happen. But when you do the math, you can probably make a case that, Hey, it's, it's, it's fairly likely maybe more than fairly likely, but you get the idea here. You need to calculate the hurdle rate and then you kind of look at the return expectations and then figure out if that's reasonable to take the risk to go ahead and achieve or maybe do better than, which is the preference, do better than the hurdle rate. So that's really, really important. Uh, probably what's more important though, and I mean, perhaps I should have started here, but you know, all of our clients are a little bit different Everybody goes through that planning process where, you know, hey, here's the spending goals, here's the income sources that you have, and here's what your investments kind of have to make up, anything that the income is not covering. We go ahead and we've talked about this in past episodes, but, you know, you have to go through and you measure the required return on the investments, but you also measure the capacity for risk that you have. So, so what I mean by risk capacity is, you know, some clients have a very, very well-funded, you know, retirement plan. They've worked hard, they saved, they invested, they lived below their means, and they end up with more money than, frankly, they probably ever dreamed possible when they started down that path, when they started working. And their spending hasn't really increased at a similar rate as their income over those years, so they end up, by most accounts, probably being pretty wealthy. Some may call them rich. In their minds, they call themselves hardworking, and that's what we call them, too. But when we have a lot of clients where literally they could put the money in the mattress and just as long as the mattress didn't burn up or somebody steal it from the mattress, they're going to be fine. They could just spend it out over time. They don't really have to have any sort of positive rate of return on their dollars. The corollary to that is they could also take pretty much 100% stock risk. And even if another 2008-09 happened, it's not going to, nobody's going to like that. But even with having your money go down by about half, 
it's not going to impair their lifestyle. And as long as they continue to be prudent and disciplined, more likely than not, I mean, the market has always come back. So they have a lot of risk capacity. They could be very conservative. They could be very aggressive. Either way, you know, it's not going to impact their lifestyle negatively. Their lifestyle is very, very well funded. Now, if you contrast that with somebody that, you know, certainly has done well, but maybe they spend more than the client that I mentioned previously, maybe they're, they're spending and their assets are a little bit more kind of toe to toe, if you will. And maybe they need a higher required return. Maybe they need, they don't have as much capacity for risk. They can't just put it in the mattress. They can't just put it in all bonds because bonds are really aren't going to provide the return that they need. But at the same time, if they go too far up the risk ladder and have too much in stocks and stocks sell off like it did in 08 and 09, they're going to have to really pull back. So you're kind of looking for that porridge that's just right in the middle there. Um, but the important thing is, you know, I started with the hurdle rate and that's kind of looking at the pension in itself in isolation. But really what everybody also needs to do, that's a good starting point, the hurdle rate is, but you really need to fit it into your plan. If you don't have a lot of capacity for risk, more likely than not, the pension, as long as the hurdle rate isn't so ridiculously low, the pension is probably going to be a better solution because it's going to provide a better floor, better income floor to your plan and alleviate some of the stress that the investments are going to have to do. So it's not a always take the pension or always take the lump sum. It's definitely going to depend on somebody's particular situation. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty much everything should. I mean, the, the if you go back to uh, when we first started the podcast, I went through a series of episodes where the retirement rule has gone awry. I mean, if you start using rules of thumb, you know, what's the chance that you're just average? You know, the rules of thumb in general were constructed for the average person. Frankly, the average person uh, in the U.S. is is making a household income of around $50,000. And I would speculate that that's not the average person that's listening to the podcast. So if you're following these rules of thumb, well, they're probably really not going to apply to you or if they do, it's just by chance. So yes, we always believe in doing the math, connecting the dots, making the decision very clear, making our recommendation mathematically, but then also and very seriously considering the more qualitative aspects of things that we started with about satisfaction and, you know, just having some peace of mind and yeah, the lump sum looks good and maybe the hurdle rates low, but you know what? I mean, I would be, I think I would be just happier just knowing that I didn't have to worry about it. And then I'll just keep the other money that I have in my IRA and 401k invested. We have a client right now that's facing uh, a decision like this and um, the decision hasn't been made. They still have some flexibility over timing of it. But one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast episode today is, uh, as I mentioned, lump sums are a lot higher in 2020. So most plans are, most of these defined benefit plans are on a calendar year basis and the interest rates in the plan uh, for say, generally what you find is uh, the August in this case, August 2019 interest rates are going to dictate what the 2020 lump sums are going to be. Let me say that again. No, this I'm using generalities here. We you have to look at the plan document and and really kind of dig into this. But in general, the majority of plans that are out there that are still in operation, or even if they're frozen but they're still around, and you can still take a lump sum on them, most of the lump sums in 2020 are determined by the August 2019 interest rates. Technically, they're called the IRS 
417E segment rates. So yeah, there's my uh, wonky um, factoid for the day. That's the, um, that's the egghead moment of the day. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, these are incredibly important. And, and as most people have seen, interest rates went a lot lower in 2019 than 2018. So when you had the decreasing interest rates, it's an inverse relationship. So what the company has promised to pay you is a monthly amount for your lifetime. Now, you can take that only on your life. You can maybe take out a joint survivor benefit. There's different forms that you can go ahead and take it. And, and all of those really involves some sort of insurance that you're taking through the pension plan. And not all plans have to offer a lump sum. Um, many do. Many want to get out of the pension business. They just don't want to. It's not what they are in business to do. And it's more of a, a hassle than anything. And they don't like the risk of people living longer and then having to put more money into the plan. So a lot more plans do have these lump sum options on them in our experience these days, and the rates uh, have gone lower last year. And so what that means is that monthly amount that they promise to pay, if we go back to our example, $500 per month is what they promise to pay. Well, if interest rates are lower, that's going to take a larger lump sum to go ahead and produce that $500 per month. And that's just an actuarial calculation. But that's exactly what happens. So just imagine a teeter-totter, you know, on one end of the teeter-totter, you have interest rates. On the other end of the teeter-totter, you have lump sums. As interest rates go down, the lump sums go up and vice versa. So once we get into, say, August of, of this year, we'll get, an, and those rates are actually published come mid-September, there's about a two-week lag. But we'll know what the lump sums are going to be the next year. So for our clients that have these lump sums, this is kind of a common thing that we'll do. We'll look to see, well, you know, hey, we don't have a perfect foresight into this, but, you know, here's where interest rates are. Here's the month that the plan uses to go ahead and determine the lump sums on the next year. Well, hey, are, are rates going up or down or lump sums going down or up? When's it likely going to be the best time to go ahead and take this? And again, I can say, and this is the reason why we're doing this episode today, but because rates have gone down and gone down a lot from 2018 to 2019, the lump sums are significantly higher in 2020 because the 2020 lump sums are determined based on some monthly rates in the prior year. Again, generally that's August. Some plans you know, will use as late as November, and then people are scrambling at the end of the year because those November rates aren't published until two weeks into December. And then there's only two weeks left to decide, well, hey, am I going to take the lump sum this year? Or am I going to wait till next year? But but that's why people, yeah, that's why people hire us. So we worry about those details and we make sure that everything gets done. But, but again, uh, teeter-totter, interest rates one side, lump sums on the other. Interest rates have gone down a lot. Lump sums have gone up a lot in 2020. Interesting to see that analysis and kind of the forces that are driving the background of all of those decisions that then you boil down to an individual basis for folks. But now I'm, I'm really worried about the true question here, Kevin, if we really get down to it. If I win the lottery, do I take the lump sum or the pension? Because nobody ever takes the pension in the lottery. <laughs> um, you know, I've never, uh, we were actually, we had, we thought somebody was pranking us, but we uh, had a local news station come into our office about a year or so ago when the lottery was uh, really high and, and they came in and, and interviewed us and were just asking us about taking benefits in a blind trust or things like that. And uh, that's the closest I've ever got to having to do any sort of analysis on lottery winnings. But um, I know there's a lot of, you hear a lot of stories about people kind of blowing through it. So 
you may go ahead and override any math and just go ahead and say, well, let's go to the forced monthly payment option on something like that so they don't blow it all on NASCAR memorabilia and end up broke again or something. <laughs> I've always thought the pension would be the smartest thing to do in the uh, because usually your lottery winners aren't used to managing you know large sums of money, and that's why you hear about all the pitfalls. So I've always have, thought, uh, why wouldn't you get the pension? And then it's like still probably a couple million dollars a year that you're getting, depending on which lottery you win. And then it's like, you know, even if you blow it all this one year, you get to start over next year and learn from your mistake. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly right. We have a client that, uh, very sharp, uh, sharp, sharp guy. Um, he had a shirt that said the lottery is for people that can't do math. So <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's not an investment. It's speculation. It's, it's really a, an experiential enjoyment, I guess, of the what if that could happen. But on average, yes, you better expect to lose. It's not, it's not a solution. I would imagine you'd have better odds going to Vegas, right? I mean, compared to the lottery. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, That'd be an I, interesting we, study. Yeah, it's not something that, um, you know, we had a, we picked up a, a client one time that was leaving a prior advisor. And you always want to make sure, like, well, hey, what, why are you leaving this advisor? You know, was the, the, potentially the client has some unreasonable expectations that can't be met. And the um, client said to me, well, he said, my advisor owes about $50,000 to some of the golf buddies uh, at the golf club. And I just don't think that's a good trait in my financial <laughs> advisor. And I said, I agree with you. So, yeah, I'm not a big gambler. I don't gamble at all, as a matter of fact. Yeah, it's, it's not a great financial policy to, to gamble that's for sure too funny well uh, it's really helpful information i think though kevin to kind of analyze that because it's something that a lot of workers are going to have to face do i take the lump sum do i take the pension what works best for my financial situation and my future and there's that little piece of emotion that comes into the whole equation as well and you got to kind of balance all those things so it makes the planning process i'm sure a little tricky but also kind of what makes this whole job fun for you i would imagine yeah, and, and for some, I started telling the story, and I'll just kind of put a bow on the episode with it. But um, so we have a client, uh, very significant pension, uh, lump sum. Uh, it's you know on the in the low seven figures, and it's certainly it's gone up uh, this year. And it's interesting to see, you know, they haven't made a decision yet. Two very smart people, very high income earners over the years. You know, both recently retired. Plenty of other liquidity uh, elsewhere, but hey, you know, you get a monthly pension, or you can have another, you know, seven figures rolled over to your IRA. And uh, there's a certain order of magnitude that just makes this different. Years ago, the husband had a, a pension buyout from a former employer, and uh, at the time, he decided just to not roll it over and, and keep a monthly pension. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, you've already made this decision whether you want to take the lump sum or not. He's, I said the math wasn't incredibly different, you know, back then. Certainly it's a little bit more favorable today because the hurdle rate is lower. However, back in 2012, the return expectations were higher than what they were today. So just call it a wash. And he made that decision and he, he thought that was a very valid point that I brought up. But it's just, I think the order of magnitude is, is really kind of causing some indecision here. It's, it's like, well, hey, do I really want a, a nice six-figure pension per year or do I want more uh, seven-figure-plus rollover? And uh, they haven't made that decision yet, but uh, we've been talking about it now for a while. And they don't have to make it right away. I would we'll see what happens to interest rates uh, over the course of the year if they stay about the same. The lump sum it will be a little bit lower next year. Interest rates are, are one of the two factors that really go into determining the lump sum. It's also mortality. 
how long you're expected to live. So as you get older, you know, you're expected to live, you know, get one year older, you're expected to live one year less. And so the lump sum, all else being equal, will go down. Um, so we have some time uh, for them to kind of consider this and all the pensions really work on a monthly basis. So each month, the lump sum is technically going down a little bit, but they just haven't made this decision yet. I think just because of the magnitude of it, even though they've made a decision on the same sort of subject in the past. So everybody's different. We always do the math. We always fit into their financial plan. We always talk about the qualitative considerations as well. Uh, we'll connect the dots as best we can and then uh, help the client decide. But this is just a, a particularly an interesting one, I think, because of the magnitude of it. But whether, again, we have a lot of people, First Energy, Goodyear, Rockwell, Akron Children's, all these places uh, have a lump sum that does make sense to at least seriously consider taking via lump sum. So if anyone's listening and has questions on that, and whether you're not from those companies or not, but if you have an option, certainly you want to take a look at it. Well, if you'd like to schedule a time to meet with an experienced financial advisor on the True Wealth team, you can certainly do that by going to truewealthdesign.com and click the Are We Right For You button to schedule your 15-minute call. Again, truewealthdesign.com, your place to go to do that. Or you can call the old-fashioned way, 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855 855- 893-7526. And we'll put the phone number and the uh, website in the show notes or description, depending on what app you're listening to the show on today. Uh, we'll put that in the description and show notes of today's show so you can access those resources there. TrueWealthDesign.com, though, again, the place to go online to sign up for a time to meet with the team at True Wealth Design. Kevin, always a lot of fun being with you here on the show today. Thanks for letting me be the man of the half hour. And we'll look forward to another great episode next time around. All right. Thank you very much, Walter. All right. That's Kevin Krosky. I'm Walter Storhold. Thanks for taking the time to join us. If you have any questions, don't ever hesitate to reach out. And we'll talk to you next time right back here on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.